You know, if you just want to hear about a miracle, you can do a quick Google search, you can find somebody's story, you can sign up for some missionaries newsletter, and you can read about someone else experiencing a miracle. But if you want to see a miracle firsthand, right up close, if you want to experience a miracle, it's going to involve usually an investment on your part. Right? It means actually going to the field instead of just reading about the field. It means actually buying into something that's going to cost you something. You see, if we're really going to experience a miracle, it's usually going to involve a personal investment in, on, on our case, or on our person. We're going to have to give something to be a part of it. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how to position ourselves to see miracles. Because we don't do miracles. Miracles are what Jesus does. A miracle is when Jesus supernaturally shows up and shows off in our everyday life, in our community, in our world, in our city. And we want to be in the places where Jesus is working so that we can see those things, so we can be involved in the miracles that Jesus is doing. And over the last few weeks, what we've been talking about is some of those key things we need to do to position ourselves where Jesus will be. And in our first week, we talked about how obedient people find themselves on the spiritual front lines, and so they tend to experience miracles. And then in our second week, we talked about how we need to train our eyes to have the vision, the right sight, to see everyday miracles, so we get an idea of how Jesus works, so that we can see when he's getting ready to do something big and put an exclamation point on the underlying work that he's doing all the time. And then last week we talked about how faithful people see a miracle because they stick it out. They stay until Jesus shows up. They don't quit before the miracle happens. And tonight we're going to look at the next step or the next thing we can do to position ourselves to see Jesus working in our world. And we're going to be in John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. And a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. And Jesus went up to a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. And so when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming towards him, he asked Philip, where can we buy bread so that these people can eat? And he asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many people? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down, and just the men numbered about 5,000. So there was probably women and children as well. And then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated also with the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. And so they collected them, and they end up filling 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew himself to the mountain. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that it challenges us, it encourages us, and it gets us excited about being where you're working in our world. God, I pray that it'll be your words that I speak tonight, that if there's anything I plan to say that I shouldn't, that you'll take it out of my mind, you'll take it away from my notes, you'll make me just forget it. But if there's something I sh wasn't planning to say that I should, Lord, that you lay it upon my heart, you guide my lips to speak your words tonight. And I pray all these things for your glory and in your name. Amen. 
So it's interesting here, starting in verse 1, John really gives us a sense of where we're at and when this is happening. He says in verse 4, this is near Passover. And remember, the book of John is written to non-Jewish people. And so he says, you don't know what Passover is, but it's a Jewish festival. Um, you know, sometimes people ask, why do we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Like, don't they all tell the same story? Yes, but they're telling the same story to different audiences. And John here isn't talking to Jewish people. He's talking to Gentile people. And so he tells them, listen, this is when this took place. It took place near Passover. You don't know what that is, but it's a Jewish festival. And then in verse 1, he says, here's where it took place. It took place at the Sea of Galilee or Lake Tiberias. Lake Tiberias is what the Romans called the, the lake, and then the Sea of Galilee is what the Jews called it. And so he was just clarifying, here's where it happened. Here's when it's happened. If you don't believe me, go check it out. The miracles in the Bible aren't just things that they made up. These were real events that happened in a real place and time. And he was telling people, this is when it took place. This is real. When he wrote this, you could go and talk to people who actually tasted the food at this event. It is real. I was reading some modern commentaries this week about this passage, and they said, really, there's no miracle here. Jesus was just really good at teaching sharing. Essentially, Jesus was like a great Barney, and he came down and he's like, everybody share. And so everybody had these secret stashes of food, and once Jesus showed the kid that he was willing to share, everybody was just like, well, I really have enough to share. And it becomes a lesson on sharing. No, it's an actual miracle, and that's why they were so moved by it that they wanted to make him king. This was something miraculous. It was something that came into our world and supernaturally changed the situation. And I think that Jesus can still do miracles today. Now, Jesus asks a question here, and I always think it's interesting if you read through the life of Jesus, how often he asks people questions. People will come up to him, and they'll be like, are you the son of God? And he's like, let me ask you a question. You know, and they'll come up to him, and they'll ask him something, and he goes, let me ask you something, and turn this back around. And I think a lot of times, Jesus asks people questions, and he doesn't do this because he doesn't know the answer. He does this because he wants us to think about the answer. He wants, to think, he wants us to think about why he is the answer. And so he asks people things, and it even says he didn't do this because he didn't know. He knew what he was going to do. He asked this to test him. And I think Jesus is still asking us questions today. And you probably didn't wake up, and you heard a voice and it's just like, Darby, why are you acting this way? Or Alex, why did you say those things? Or not to call you out, Alex, that was just a random example. Um, but we probably didn't hear a voice of Jesus asking that. So how is Jesus asking us questions today? Jesus is asking us questions through our circumstances. God is putting us in situations where we need a miracle, which forces us to ask a question, ask a question where Jesus is the only answer to that question. He's putting us in situations where we have to stop and think about what's the answer to this problem, what's the answer to this situation, and the answer is Jesus. And anytime we find ourselves in a situation where we need a miracle, there's something we don't have enough of, right? It wouldn't be a miraculous situation if you said, we have plenty of money and plenty of people, plenty of training, plenty of resources. I mean, what would be miraculous about that? You'd just be like, well, you're well prepared. Good for you. But if you need Jesus to show up and show up, that probably means you're lacking something. And you'll see here what Andrew, Simon Peters, um, or I'm sorry, Philip says in verse 7. He says, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for everybody to have a bite. So 200 denarii, that's about six months wages, so about half of what you make in a year. And he says, we couldn't buy a bite, just one bite of food for everybody. 
And so what Philip is doing is he's looking around and he's saying, we don't have enough money, we don't have enough food, we can't make this thing happen. And we'll find ourselves in situations like that, right? Where we'll be like, we don't have enough money, this can't happen. We don't have enough people, this can't happen. We don't have enough food, what are we going to do? Those are the situations where Jesus loves to show up and show off because that's when he gets the glory. That's not when we say, wow, look how we used our resources. Look what our people did. That's when we say, look what our God has done. And verse 8 introduces Andrew here, Simon Peter's brother, and he's bringing this boy up who has these five barley loaves and two fish. And I love what he says. He says, but what are they for so many? He essentially looks at what little bit they have, and he says, this isn't going to do anything. This is like a drop in the bucket, and we need an ocean. And I think that all of us have a tendency to look at life really through two lenses, right? Either scarcity or through the lens of abundance. See, when I look at my abilities and my talents and what I'm able to muster up and produce and create and do, it's very much, it's very easy to fall into a scarcity mentality and be like, I don't have that many talents. I don't have that much money. I don't have that many people. I don't have that many resources. What am I going to do? But when I look at God, I see infinite abundance. He has everything that they need. So notice here that um, Andrew was looking at the little bit that they had rather than looking at Jesus who was right there. And I think we can do that exact same thing in the situations we find ourselves. We can either look at the little bit we have and say, it's not enough. What is that going to do? That's useless. We'll never do anything with such a small group, with such a small amount, with so little. Or we can look to Jesus and say, oh man. He can do anything because he has so much. And where we put our perspective, whether we're looking at how little we have or how much we have, I think it ends up reflecting in our next behavior or the following behavior. See, if we're looking at how little we have, here's what happens. We start to complain. We start to complain when we feel like we don't have enough, when we're looking at life through a scarcity mentality, when we don't have everything that we want or everything we think we need to accomplish what we need to do, we start complaining. But if we're looking at Jesus, we're looking at all the abundance that he has, all the resources, all the goodness that he has, we begin to worship. And what I found is if I'm worshiping, I can't be complaining. And if I'm complaining, I can't be worshiping. What's the best answer to being cynical or being complaining? And I very easily fall into that mindset. Start worshiping. When I start looking at how good God is, how, how much he's blessed me, how much he's revealed himself to me, it makes me worship. And then I begin to take my eyes off of how little I have and put them on how much he has. But here we have this little boy who really jumpstarts the whole miracle. You have these disciples, these people who know Jesus the best, who have been spending the most time with him, and they're like, I don't know what to do. We don't have the money. We don't have the food. We can't do anything. And this little boy comes up, and he's like, I'll give you what I have. And his act of generosity jumpstarts the entire miracle. Jesus takes the five barley loaves. These are probably small, like little biscuits, and two small, probably sardine-like fish. And Jesus multiplies it by the thousands to feed everyone, but it all started with one small boy's generosity. A miracle, if we're going to really experience it, will always involve an investment from us, and sometimes that'll be an investment of money, sometimes it'll be an investment of time, sometimes it'll be an investment of tears. 
But if we're really going to be excited about when a miracle happens and celebrate it, we can't be at a distance from a miracle. We have to be up close. We have to have some skin in the game. And our generosity, our act of giving of ourselves to what Jesus is about to do to be part of his glory, many times jump starts a supernatural showing up and showing off of Jesus in our lives, in our cities, in our communities. It's real easy to stay at a distance and say, I really hope Jesus does something over there. It's really different to get up close and personal, give up something, let it cost you something, and then you're really invested in that miracle. You're praying for it, you're working for it, you're excited about Jesus showing up and showing off. And so that's our, our fourth positioning here when we talk about being where miracles are. We need to get in a place where we invest something where Jesus is working so that we can see him show up and show up. But I love what Jesus says then. He feeds these 5,000 people and then when everyone had enough to eat, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. He wasn't going to waste any of the food. One, it built their faith because only with Jesus can you subtract, can you give away your lunch and end up with more food than when you started. Only with Jesus can you give up something, can you sacrifice something and it not really be a sacrifice because he always has more than anything you lose or you give up or you hand over to him. You know, I started thinking about, you know, someone had to lose their lunch in order for everyone to be full. And what we have to think about is, am I willing to give up my lunch to see a miracle happen? Am I willing to give up what I have in order to see Jesus do something that I never could? But he doesn't let anything be wasted here. And I don't think that Jesus ever lets anything be wasted when we get involved in the work that he's doing, when we get close to experiencing a miracle. He doesn't let our tears go to waste. I love the picture in the Old Testament where it gives this picture of God with a bottle collecting our tears and not a single one is forgotten or wasted. I don't think that Jesus wastes our time when we invested in his kingdom or our money or our energy or our emotional health. I think that nothing is wasted when we sacrifice for Jesus' kingdom and mission in our world. He didn't waste any of the bread or fish that was left over. I like to think that he sent it home with the little boy, and the little boy's mom packed him a little lunch, and he came back with 12 baskets, and he's like, hey, mom! But no matter what we give up for Jesus, he always has more. And then look at the people's response here in verse 14. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. And Jesus realized they were about to come by force and make him king. I love this. This is the people's response. This guy makes food. He should be our king. You know, can you imagine someone's political, um, you know, running for political office and their campaign is, there's going to be a pizza in your oven every night. A pizza every night of the week. I'd vote for them. Like, that's the only thing I need to know, right? People will do a lot for free food. Uh, we've done things before where we offer free food and college students show up to a small group. And it's amazing. Just you give away free food. People love you. They just want to come out and be a part of that. And so Jesus made food and they're like, that's all you need to be our king. Like, if you make food, I'll follow you anywhere. And so he withdrew himself, though, because this wasn't the type of king that he was going to be. You see, for years and years, the Jewish people had been waiting. God had told them, you're going to be my special people to be my special platform for my special person who's going to come into the world. And when he comes, he's going to set everything right. He's going to um, 
He's going to separate out evil and good, and he is going to begin to heal what's broken in the world. Because the Bible talks about how we all have this sin nature. We have this tendency to do what's destructive, what's selfish, what benefits us but ultimately hurts our relationships with other people and with God. And so God kept saying, I'm going to send my special person, and I'm going to send him to you, my Jewish people, because you're my special platform. And so they were waiting for this king. And God kept telling them, you're going to bless the entire earth. When my special person comes, it's going to be a blessing to the entire earth. It's going to reveal me in a new way to the entire earth. And they kept hearing, even though he was saying that, so you're going to make our life better. You're going to make our life better. And so what they thought was Jesus was going to come, this Messiah was going to come, and he was going to make himself king and overthrow the Roman people, and they were just going to have free food all the time, and it was going to be great. I remember uh, I was reading one of the rabbis uh, before Jesus who described what it would be like when the Messiah comes. And he says, the olives will be like the size of a man's head. Olives will just grow really huge. And they were like, this is what it's going to be like when Messiah comes. But that's not what Jesus wanted. Notice he withdrew himself. He said, that's not the type of king that I'm going to be. He wanted to be a king of hearts and minds and lives. He didn't want to just make laws to force people to do right and wrong. He wanted to change people from the inside out. And he's still doing that today. He's still inviting people, come and be my follower, and I'll supernaturally begin to change what you want out of life so that you want what I want, what's best for other people and for the world and for God, instead of what you selfishly want to do yourself. And Jesus is still inviting people, come and let me be king in your heart and your mind and your life so that I can change everything that's broken and wrong and make it right. So what can we do with this? What can we take away from this? What can we do this week in response to this passage? I think, number one, we need to think about where we can jumpstart a miracle, where we can invest in God working by sacrificing, by giving up something, by doing an act of generosity that may jumpstart Jesus supernaturally showing up and showing off in our world. Now, do I think that Jesus still could have fed 5,000 people without this kid coming forward? Yeah. But that kid never would have been part of the story. We wouldn't even have known that he was here. And I think a lot of times we miss out on moments where Jesus wants to supernaturally show up and show off because we don't invest in places where he's working. We don't think about where we can jumpstart a miracle with generosity. And number two, I think the second challenge for us is to stop complaining and start worshiping. It's so easy to look at what we think isn't going right, whether it's in our country, or whether it's in our city, or whether it's in our home, or our communities, whether it's at our workplaces. Instead, if we look at the abundance that Jesus has, how good Jesus is, we begin worshiping instead of complaining. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this challenge to not complain, but to worship. This challenge not to look at how little we have, but to look at how much you have. God, I pray that you will make us a faithful people who are generous and jumpstart many miracles, who get invested where you're working, who don't just stand at a distance and say, we want to see God do something as long as it doesn't cost us anything. May we be a people who are so about your glory that we're willing to give up anything because we know that anything we give up, you have more. And I pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.